Hi, everyone. This is the first episode of the Breakthrough Podcast. I'm John Reimer, a.k.a. the Baseball Buddha, and also your host. Since this is brand new, we are still working out some of our kinks, but as we develop the podcast, we will refine it to include an intro, pre-show comments, and an outro. The podcast is going to serve as a format to showcase the Breakthrough family of companies. The goal of the podcast is to have open and honest conversations about our systematic approach to entrepreneurialism, but to also take a deeper dive into breakthrough moments that we all have to help us untap our human potential and make our professional life, our personal life, unstoppable as we strive to become an important player in the biotech market space. Jerry Jindusa, who is the majority shareholder with Breakthrough, is the first conversation. He discusses his trials and tribulations and his view on how we can grow and develop to maximize our human potential. I hope you enjoy. What I really would like to talk about first, what do you want to get out of this podcast? I tell you, we can go in so many different directions with this that it will just kind of ebb and flow. I think um, starting at the beginning as a baseline is always important, right? And so we're, we're really trying to help people. We're trying to grow people. We're trying to build things. We're doing it together, as you know, and we're doing it in a real fun way, in an unconventional, unorthodox way. And so I think to have an appreciation as to what does that mean, how to be vulnerable, all the things that you and I have gone through, what we're going to continue to go through. Why is vulnerability important to you, especially at work? Yeah, it's a, such a good question. I think vulnerability is important to all of us because you can't grow and you can't build something unless you're going to realize that you need to improve in order to build something. It doesn't matter if you're 55, 56 years old. doesn't matter if you're 22 years old. It's all about improvement. That theory, and we're, we're really corny with it. You've heard it from me. It's like get better every day. So if we're trying to get better every day, you have to be vulnerable. When you're vulnerable, you're like, okay, what could I have done differently in any situation instead of just looking at it like that person was wrong or this situation was wrong because human nature is to blame others and we just try to get beyond that so i personally have to do that right especially there's certain people in this world they're trailblazers they have change agent personalities they're pain in the asses they're all these things but if you're building something you really got to build it through others Mm -hmm. and then it becomes more and it could even be selfishly motivated right because if you really want success the success comes through others. Once I started breaking down those walls and becoming more vulnerable with people, they got to see the real me, what I was really about. I wasn't as much about John as people thought I was. My biggest thing about being vulnerable is to help pull that out of other people. I think it, I, I agree with you 100%. I think it is so important when you are trying to build, try to build something overall, to really understand the people you are doing that with. Does that make sense? It does. And insecurities play into vulnerabilities. So I'm a pretty confident guy and I'm still insecure about certain things. Mm -hmm. I try to put myself in the lens of somebody else and what their insecurities would be. And then it's trying to build people up versus knocking them down. Certain people at times, as you know, have to be knocked down a little bit, but most people have to be built up. Mm-hmm. Like, you got this. You can do this. We trust you, especially Cyogenics. When we're going to battle, we're doing it with talented, youthful, exuberant human beings that have no fucking experience. Like, none. none. 
and we're trying to build them up. And it's just, we we're doing this proposal for Israel and you're like, God, I didn't realize how old I was like, right? Yes. Like, Oh my God. And then I just was fortunate to have a ton of experience because I had a business. It started in a basement. I had to learn about legal. I had to learn about contracts. I had to learn about sales and marketing. I had to learn about continuous improvement. I had to learn about operations. I had to learn about supply chain and all this stuff. And here I am like a 2.8, 3.2 student, UWM. It's not the best school in the world. I don't want to knock my alma mater, but it's really an urban setting. Mm-hmm. All types of students go there. But what I love about it is it's grinders, is people that they have second jobs, they're going back to school. They didn't get into a better school or they have a child at home and they're raising a family and they're getting a degree. So backtracking or I'm digressing a little bit, but it all comes back to what makes us successful, being vulnerable, pumping people up with the insecurities, but then training them, mentoring and I don't even necessarily consider myself to be that great of a mentor at certain things. I'm I'm more of a driver, and I've been told I'm a leader and perhaps a really shitty manager. Talking about that Israel opportunity that we have that we were working on late into the evening last night with the, a lot of the young professionals that we had here, I sat back and I started just watching these, I want to call them kids, just take over. No matter how hard I try, I have to have a really good team around me. Like I look at you, you like to finish stuff. So if we're going to start the proposal, it's going to be seven at night. It's going to be eight at night. We might want to push it off. But then we don't we don't have that positive energy. If we have that positive energy, we have to capitalize on that moment in time because it's a very special moment, and we don't get many of those special moments. And when we get them, and you experience like pain and suffering together because you're working really hard, the worst of times are the best of times. I agree with that 100% because I kept thinking in there that these guys are going to think back like we do 30 years later thinking that was an awesome night. That was an awesome coming together to knock this proposal out. Like you always say, punch above our weight class. Yeah. When you were working out of your basement to build your first company, what did you have to prove? When I was younger, it was fear. It was total fear so i have this job at rf technologies um we're writing a business plan in my basement wind lake wisconsin i meet a guy at rf technologies name is jim harasha and he happens to work for hughes aircraft and he happens to be a process improvement guy university of wisconsin platteville he grew up on a farm I categorize people that grow up on farms because they're just hard workers. You get up early in the morning, you're milking the cows, you're doing all this stuff. He moves back from California home, has a family. He works for a company called ASI, which is a circuit board company. They go out of business. He's like the last employee because he's so valued. So he goes from process engineering to information technologies to finance. And like this guy, he gets it. And then he talked to me about wanting to start a business. And he wanted to start like some automotive business, refurbishment business. And I'm like, why? I mean, it doesn't make sense. But aerospace, you know aerospace, I know aerospace. Could we potentially do something together? We came up with a business plan called military parts and supplies and the margin wasn't good and it was an import export business. We shelved that idea after a period of time. We got family and friends to invest. 
I'm working at this company with him, RF Technologies, working out of my basement on another business plan. We're actually doing pretty good at RFT. I'm the head of their long-term care sales division. And I'm like 26 years old. Jim's 10 years older than me. He's got two kids at home. His wife, Rita, is like, why would we do this with you? I'm like, I don't know. I've never done this before. So maybe you don't want to do it with me. I don't know. I, have, I can't answer that question. But I had this fear because I got 25 grand from a sister-in-law, 25 grand from a best friend. I put in money on my own. I sold a truck. I was in the process of selling a home, put a second mortgage on everything I had. And then we have a loan from Waukesha State Bank. It's for $250,000. We got an $80,000 line of credit. We put in 120 grand of our own money. I send this note over in my basement no, I forgot to do it in my basement. So I have this office in my basement. I do it from work. I dial the wrong fax number. The thing comes back through the system. Somebody puts it on the owner's desk at RF Technology. I just get fired. And I start collecting unemployment. Now I'm like, fuck, I have to do this. I, I am scared shitless. Everybody else believes in me. I don't believe in myself. And so... I'm the first employee. Waukesha State Bank says you have to be in an industrial park. So you have to be in Waukesha County. So I lived in Wind Lake, I chose Muskego. And, but we don't have any customers. We have to buy the inventory. We don't have any builders. So I gotta figure out how to work a network analyzer. I gotta figure out how to build the product. I have to figure out how to do an ISO certification because it's an aerospace company. Stars just aligned with you to do what you had to do. Everything happens for a reason. And you're put in a position. Either you, you take that and you run with it or you can play it safe. Right. You, know? you are a driver like no other that I have come across in my career. And I really enjoy the interaction and having getting to know you over the last, I'd say, six months, even though I've known you for the last five to six years, but I really didn't have a relationship with you. And I want to sort of touch on how that came about, if you're okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am. Because it's, it's an inflection point, and every time there's every problem is an unforeseen opportunity. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, start of 2022, we have a wonderful company here. I'm in a partner in a coaching business, but I don't fully own it. I have some real estate that I'm doing with my wife. It's kind of a hobby. I've got a stuck fund one business with a partner and we're 50-50 partners and I always used to be the majority and the driver. And so here, since 2014, I, I'm feeling guilty that I don't want to pound these people because I would do it nicely, mm -hmm. but it was constant, mm -hmm. right? And I never know how to turn it off. So I wasn't having as much fun. And there were some opportunities that I saw with breakthrough strategies, with creating a business from scratch that could incorporate coaching. That And you influenced this a lot with what your vision was. And then TJ, out of Arden Animal Health, if you think about it, we have a bio company we're in tissue banking. We're trying to figure out how to get into big pharma. We hire somebody that doesn't work out of Kentucky, but we you had the vision of wanting to get into pharma. I'm looking at this pet company. We're trying to develop cancer there, a cancer drug. 
we've got a stem cell concept that we're trying to go to the FDA with through their VIP program. And the stars were starting to align, but we were really stuck. And I wasn't, I wasn't having fun. And the company that I thought had the most potential was Ziogenics. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like working with it. Just didn't like it. I should set this up a little bit more. Uh, five years ago, uh, Stuck Fund One purchased, uh, a, it was a family-owned company, a steel rule dye manufacturer. And Janet Jeske is awesome. Wonderful. And Mark Jeske probably was a pioneer. Mm-hmm. He was. A visionary. A, you know, he had some personal issues that so we all have personal issues. Absolutely. But you guys did some really cool things with this this company. And in fact, I hired an investment banker to go look for businesses. And we ended up not even using the investment banker because of your connection with this business at the time, which was BioCut Systems. And Jared... Jared Koch had his business, K, KD Design, KD Design yeah. that was also intertwined. So it was a really complicated deal. And I, I actually like doing the complicated deals. That was kind of fun. Okay. You have a husband-wife combo. It's 50-50 ownership. It's, it's really, right. it's messy. I did a terrible job of integrating the business. So normally, so I had this company called Mtech Aerospace. Mm-hmm. And we had bought, we did a startup in Brazil. We bought a company in Switzerland. We bought a company in Miami. We bought a company in Winnipeg, Canada that had... We set up a group in Montreal. We bought a company in Montana. We shut down a company in Montana. We started up another company in Montana. And I had a method, I had a pace to integrate, to do these things. I didn't do any of that with Stuck Fund One. It was kind of like, meh, maybe this is a little bit of a hobby. We'll let somebody else run it because they'll have the same skill set as me and they're gonna have success and I'll just give them a little bit of mentorship because we have these tools. I got this book called Get Unstuck, just read the book and blah, blah, blah. In, in theory, it was a very nice idea. I mean, I think, <laughs> well, I think, I think you, you you were doing that at different places and I think you were really understanding the challenges you were having at, let's say up at, at Vendera and down in Kentucky. Yeah, maybe just a little personal guilt where I was just feeling sorry for myself too. Put three people into place to help run the company. I was one of those people. Typical PE, mm-hmm. private equity. Yep. You bring an operator in, you give him a little bit of skin in the game, you keep some of the key employees, such as yourself, and then you, I kind of tease these types of people, but I was one of them. And we were just getting into that very niche business of tissue banking um, where we could really develop a lot of products. I think you had some epiphanies yourself of like what is going on. Yeah, well, if you think of it, so I'm a big discipline guy. You got to close the books in five to seven days. The books weren't being closed in five to seven days. It's just a fact. Certain metrics, you use certain metrics. You don't have to use a lot of metrics. Just use the basic metrics. So whether it's revenue, it's margin, it's profit, it's inventory on hand, it's revenue per employee, blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't fully being done. But I I do want to backtrack and say... This company was really successful. You went from one product to multiple products. You gradually did a soft landing of customers that were tool making type customers, mm-hmm. tool and die shop, right? Yes. Non-medical, non-bio. Mm-hmm. You gave them a soft landing. You created, and I can say you, cause sometimes it was you against me and we weren't really working as a team. 
there's like 10 to 12 different products, technologies that were created. There was a bandsaw, that was the first one. There was a bone mill, there was debridement. There's a lot of really cool things that were done. Company was a great place to work in Milwaukee two years in a row, 2020, 2021. Company had some profitability, but my personality, I'm never satisfied. I'm looking for a world class, like if I'm in, it's got to be world class. It's got to be top two to three percent. Otherwise, I don't want to play. I have a very weird personality. It's, I, and I don't know, I was born with it, but that either I'm going to play to win or I don't want to play. And being on the sideline and watching it, it was good, but it wasn't great. And I didn't know if it had the potential to fully be great. And when I talk about that, I'm not talking about growth and money. Mm-hmm. You always say it. We get measured by our money and how much we make or what the profitability or the EBIT or the EBIT and all that stuff. But it was truly untapping the potential of people. So if you think of it, we were having turnover, the potential to turnover. And it was high potential people that were trying to untap their human capital Mm -hmm. and they're wanting to leave. Like, why would you want to leave this? There's no way. This is like, this is the place you'd want to be if you want to grow. Because we allow, we all have full transparency. We have open books. We allow engineers to run projects. We allow engineers to do finance. We allow engineers to be in the back in production to work with supply chain. We allow BD people to be entrepreneurs. We don't do just individual quotas and just leave them alone. And it's truly building something great together as interconnected parts on a, on a team. And when I started to see that, and then we, I got involved, and you were involved in this. And there was a, we, we have tools, we have techniques. So we had this 18-year ride, right? And we went from nothing to $103 million in revenue. We were at about 14 or 15% EBITDA. We learned so much about what we did wrong along the way. In about 2006, we developed this concept with a lean guy about getting everybody on the same page in a single page. My role started to change more to be a mentor, to be a leader, to be a trainer, to be an orientator of new employees, to get a single page plan in Portuguese, to get one in Swiss German, to get one up in Canada, you know, to, to incorporate this organizational structure that even the company that bought us, BE Aerospace, they wanted to use our tools because we had better tools as a mid-cap company than what they did as a $7.8 billion market cap company. So I'm like, I gotta, I gotta like share this. This is really, really important to share. So that that's kind of, and I don't know why, why I did that. If it was selfish reasons, I wanted to write a book called Get Unstuck. Or I, did, I really, I felt like this obligation or this duty to share this work or this story with others, whether people wanted to hear it or not. Well, I, I go back to what you said. I always like coming back to this. Like, if you're going to be in it, you're in it to win it. That's my mentality, too. If I'm going to be a golfer, I want to be the best golfer. Anything I do, it's like I, I, I want to do the best I can do. Comfortable doing the same thing, and there was not a sense of urgency. And I think that's what you saw coming in and seeing we're not utilizing our people well enough, fast enough to capitalize on what we have here. 
be it the technology. It didn't matter if it was some other technology. The people we had here were the thing that was going to help us grow and blow up. Yeah, so there was a there was a start stop continue exercise. It's through a pillar that we have on our single page plan called Great Place to Work. And it's called retain, develop, uh, attract, retain and develop people. And we have in, tools for an employee survey. And so when leadership said, we need your help, I said, be careful when you ask for my help getting involved in the day to day, because you're going to get my help. And when you get my help, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be subjective plus objective. So immediately dug in and did an employee survey. The lowest rated score was continuous improvement. I'm all about improvement in people and improvement in process. The highest score, which was really cool, was still there was this, I want to refer somebody to work here. There was this good vibe, but there was just this little, there was this little disconnect where it was like senior leadership versus rest of the company. And I came from having Jim Harasha, where I was the carpet guy, he was the concrete guy. But I always crossed over to the concrete where I had to, and he crossed over to the carpet. And it's just, it's just a phrase. It's a, you know, it's it's saying that hey, it starts with customer opportunities and it flows through how we ship product out the door and then how we support clients. Rocked and roll. I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't have like these issues. We we didn't have like feelings. Like feelings were being heard or so sensitive. Everybody. And I'm a, I have a ton of empathy, but I noticed that it was more about feelings being included versus about growing. And that was a little troubling to me. And you were you were thinking of quitting and you actually had I think had I think you had called out for help a couple times and I took note and I was like, I don't you're you're one of the drivers here. We use tools that actually assess people. And like, yeah, he's got a trailblazer personality. He seems to have compassion for others. He seems to be good at evaluating talent. And not just in the sales and marketing area, but across the company. I don't want to lose this guy. But, but, I, but I was an issue. I mean, I handled this straight on. Is I, there what, I was an issue that you had to deal with. Some of my, the way I dealt with people wasn't always the most productive way of dealing with people might be good for the customer, good for the company, but it wasn't good for the employee. And I I think that all came to a head and we had to have, you know, vulnerable, candid candid discussions, which actually made, made us have a closer relationship. Exactly. But then it was weird because getting a closer relationship with you then led to mistrust with other people versus with me. I'm like, oh, this is great. This will, everybody's going to get on the same page. This this is a win, but that was not that was not the case. And then, from a from an investment standpoint, you know, there's a there's a big investment in a Muskego biotech building that I'm majority owner in, mm-hmm. and we're having all this turnover. Our numbers are significantly lower than what we thought they would be from both a revenue and a profitability. 
there's a lot of good built-in excuses because supply chain, long lead, or you want to and how do safe? we figure things out, yeah. right? We figure things out and we every problem's an unforeseen opportunity. So there were some pretty tough decisions that had to be made. And then people here didn't know me. They didn't know my personality. They didn't see me around that much. And they're like, oh my God, what did we just get into? And there was a substantial amount of backlash that made it some of the most difficult times in my career. I like this idea of just, you know, putting it out there and having people understand that a lot of different companies go through some of the stuff that you, we have gone through. The way I look at it, we've really navigated some pretty heady waters over the last six months, and we really haven't lost that many people. I've hardly lost any. It, exactly. And and I think directionally, we have really are on the right path now. And the, the energy seems really took from April until now we're in almost November to get a line that was you that was you coming and stirring the pot but that's why i lived my life that's every single day i mean i granted i've i've given up some things in the short term as being the the interim leader which i use softly lightly the exciting thing to me is to see people come together Mm -hmm. is to see people start making decisions for people to say oh yeah he's not that bad of a guy, like even you said, oh, you're so intimidating, you're so this or that. And because I am who I am, I don't necessarily think of myself that way, but I guess from somebody else, like, oh yeah, this dude had all the success, he did this, he did that, he's this powerful guy, he wrote this book, he lives in this nice house. He's he, on TV. He's on, he's a Project Pitch It guy. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, that's who I am. But I can see how somebody would go, oof, he talks really fast. He never slows down. We're asking him to teach us and he's asking us to catch up. Yes. <laughs> so it's this like oxymoron of, yeah, I want to teach you, but I want to teach you fast. And I want to time activate when I teach. I don't want to teach. So even if we do BioCut University, Breakthrough University, we have to time activate it. Mm-hmm. And then I challenge, whether it's Paul Scholes, whether it's you, I'm always challenging and I'm never satisfied. So I have to educate others on, don't try to please me, try to please the customer, because you even saw a text for me. If we, when we get to 10 million, I'm gonna be like, okay, we should be at 20 million. When we get to 20 million, like, yeah, why aren't we at 50 million? When we're at 10% EBIT, why aren't we at 15% EBIT? So if you're trying to please me, you gotta please yourself. You gotta be happy and kind of love yourself and your team and then my weirdness will still always always be there but it's about growth and the day that you feel you've arrived is the day you need to get out and i heard that from i told you this before but a guy by the name of joe mccormick who wrote a book on brevity um and who now works uh with a bunch of people in north carolina that are in the armed forces and the special ops. And I got an opportunity to talk to those guys and those guys are like amazing, but it's really cool. And so I don't know why I'm going around in a circle, but going back to what Ziogenics has gone through and a new dynamic leader that's coming into Ziogenics by January of 2023, the foundation of the structure 
of what already is in place, it's like igniting this untapped potential using the you, mm-hmm. and together we will be unstoppable. And that's the breakthrough. And so we're, we're going to promote that. This is our first podcast. How we do social media, how we do our marketing, how we do our production, how we do our supply chain management, how we organize our filing structures, how we, it's all going to be about continuous improvement. And no matter how good we think we are, we can always be better. So if we're world-class, somebody else is going to pass us up. And, and so that's, that's, but that's just the part of it, right? That's, it's, that's the mindset of continuous improvement, getting better every day. Got to people aligned. Listen to people. So that's what I, the biggest thing I did, and like you even knocked me, like you never listen. And I'm like, yeah, I might talk really fast. And sometimes I feel like I have to talk to get out in front of you. But I've been listening. I've been watching. I've been observing. I might not have acted quick enough on certain things because I felt some of your pain. I felt some of your frustration. And I didn't act on it soon enough. So that, you know, when I critique myself, could we have done a better job of integrating the company? Yes. Could we have done a better job of what we do with job boss? Yes. Hindsight. We still, hindsight's 2020. So don't beat yourself up too much, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So looking forward and now taking on an interim leadership role, it's been really very gratifying and very fun. So it's been it's been a joy. And now that people have gotten to know you, you're stretching them in ways that they probably have never thought they could be stretched. It's got to be fun for you to come in with a lot of this. I, I keep saying young talent. Well, and it's exciting. And and the thing is, is we're we're in an industry that's a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. We've got breakthroughs that are going on in cell and gene therapy. We've got breakthroughs that are going on in tissue banking. We're in the biospace. We're dealing with the FDA. We're dealing with the USDA. We're dealing with certification. The parallels to the FAA are significant. They're, they're very similar. Everything is program management, project management, proposals, supply chain management, all those things that we're doing and you have been doing and we're just tweaking them a little bit and just, in, just shoring them up. So to answer your question, the talent here is unbelievable. Um, if I can, a guy like you paying in the back and, and he gets a promotion after a while and he's just taking on more work because he, he's got a passion. Or somebody like Gabe who's in QA and supply chain and he can move into BD, that's a win, right? Because we're growing, we're accelerating that person's career. Or somebody like Sammy Reimer who's taking on a market and building something where she's never done that before. That's magical. Or somebody like Angie Peck and what she's doing in tissue banking and being a business unit leader. And I can go on and on about somebody like Alex Gale and what they're doing. So it's powerful. Like the, the teams are certainly like they're coming together. You know, I, I see it within tissue banking, especially like what went on today. And then I see it within cell and gene therapy with uh, Josh and Sammy and Jack working as this uh, cohesive unit with the plan in place. And they're sticking to the plan. They're executing the plan. And with very little guidance, yeah, they have just owned it and are running with it. And if you think of it, if you can, there's structure around guidelines. There's structure around tools or methods. Other than that, have at it. So we have a vision, we have a mission, right? We know we're aiding in recovery and we're about continuous improvement. 
and we know what market sectors we're in, what customer types we have, what technology we're dealing with, well, go do it. We'll get out of your way because as a leader, you never want to be the limiting factor to the growth of the organization. And I used to have to tell myself that every year that I led MTech, don't be the limiting factor, don't be the limiting factor, don't be the limiting factor. You got to get out of your own way and let other people actually lead, empower people. In society, it's just really interesting because that often isn't, that experiential learning isn't necessarily taught. And being an entrepreneur, you know, and go down a path of entrepreneurialism, what does that mean? They typically show the, a person, oh, Jerry Jadusa Entrepreneur of the Year Award winner. It's a team mm -hmm. that's growing something. And, and now there's a term they call it intrapreneurialism. It's, to me, it's just all about growth. And there's certain types of people that are these tra trailblazers that get out in front, that go down paths that are less traveled. And there's other people that have to do these other magical things that have organization, they have attention to detail, and you need a team. So the other thing we're doing is we're just a little bit of things with roles and responsibilities. Deployment. Deployment, deployment, deployment of a calendar of pace roles and responsibilities without crazy bureaucracy. Like you and I were looking at a terms and conditions document that we had here and it was 10 pages long. And our company is so, why do we need 10 pages of terms and conditions? So we cut it to one and we did it rapidly. We did it last night at 10 and we put it in our first long proposal we ever had. And we're dealing with INCO terms and international shipment things that we're all, not all of us, but most of us are learning on the fly. That was also fun to see, like, because uh, some of the young professionals were really like, okay, I'll take this, you take this, and they're learning as they're going, and now they got that knowledge for the next time. And we're laughing. We're laughing about the bread. Mm -hmm. We're talking about raising the dough. Mm -hmm. We're talking about how you actually manufacture the bread, how you eat the bread, how you discreet the bread, all the things associated <laughs> with bread. Um, and those, we, we call them kids, they're not kids, they're young professionals. Yeah. They have so much fun with that. Let's use that language. You're John Baseball Buddha Rhymer. Let's do Moneyball. Let's have let's have fun. Let's use baseball terms. You and I have talked about the Savannah Bananas and what they do. Let's dare to dream. Let's dare to be different. Let's be unique in everything we do. So we'll whether it's good or bad, we're going to stand out. Right. It doesn't have to be polished. Not polished. And I'm so I am so unprofessional and unpolished and I'm doing this interview with you. I got a Robin Yant shirt on and I've got a hat on and Here's another question too, because you're not about the hierarchy, because a lot of people get into a career and it's like they want to move up the corporate ladder. And here we just don't have that. It's like everybody reports to the site leader or the president. And it's like that whole catch-up joke. Touch on that. Yeah, Why? yeah, yeah. So, well, it's interesting. So you you think of, you watch TV or the movies and somebody who's affluent or somebody, they get the best parking spot. Why? The president parks here. The vice president parks here. The seat. What does that mean? Whoever gets to work first can park wherever they want. So my theory is, and I don't do it as much here, but I used to do it. I was the first person at work and I was the last person to leave every single day for 18 years. Set the pace. 
I never parked up front. I always parked way in the back so I could get a little more exercise coming into the office door. But there, there's that theory down corporate row. When times are tough, you need to be next to your team. You don't want to be isolated from your team. So I, I'll tell a story about 2008, the great TARP reform. I'm in aviation and there's multi-millionaire CEOs getting paid $10 million a year that are lobbying in Washington, taking their minivans because they're being destroyed by the public for having a corporate aircraft. Like that doesn't make sense, but that makes sense to the general public. But if I have a business that is in a very depressed economy, I'm going to go sit in a cube farm with the team I'm not going to sit down corporate row because we got to figure stuff out together. I was in the office today listening to Jack and Thor because I'm sitting in a cube next to Sammy and Morgan and they're talking about demon D cell and fluid handling. And I'm like, Oh, I want to join this because I heard them talking and they're talking about marketing and product standards and how you can build a modular software piece and then how we can do the long proposal. But that happens in a moment of time. And so you have to act upon that quickly versus having a meeting and then having another meeting, et cetera. The hierarchy too is like, okay, now go report to John on what we just talked Correct. about. So now we're wasting time Correct. getting whoever, the vice president up to speed so he can make a decision or make he, like he feels like he can make a decision like he's somebody who's important. When you're giving them the power just to go make the decision and run with it, let John catch up. Correct. So hustle, defense, game face, that's basketball term. We're doing baseball terms now. But you a company will have proposals and they'll say, any proposal over $100,000 has to get approved by the VP of sales and marketing. I think that's bullshit. If we have systems and checks and balances in play, that team is going to work on that proposal. They're going to have a zero gate or they're going to have some type of a kickoff and a win strategy. And if we make a mistake, we make a mistake. And we're honest with the customer about it. We build assumptions in. We, we just try to help one another. So when we're competing and we're with a client, it's more of a win-win versus there's a winner and there's a loser. So it's just, it's, a, it's kind of my mindset when it comes to, to collabor a collaborative business approach. How was that learned? I mean, at MTech, let's say, I mean, was it did, did it just evolve that it was just like, go make the decision, I don't want to make the decision? Or it was just like, don't waste my time, just make the decision. It's better to seek forgiveness than permission. Yeah, I don't know. It was a combination of probably both. A little bit of my personality, not having patience, a little bit of being cheap, not wanting to hire really high quality qualified people because we wanted the margin to be better, learning on the fly, having fun, like to me, you have to have fun. Mm -hmm. Paul Scholes, who's the head of organizational development, he'd always be offended because I say, just make me laugh. He's like, you take away all my credibility, my master's degree, all the work that I've done, all the tools that I created, because all you want to do is to, is to laugh. I'm like, yes, make the workplace fun for me and for others. And yeah, we'll put some process in place. We'll have a Q university. We'll, you know, we'll model that, but we have to have fun. Because we're spending so much of our time working. So even, and then it turns into a passion. People are working tons of hours. They don't even know they're doing it because they're having so much fun. Well, here, that brings me to another question that I have for you is work-life balance. Because 
to me, is kind of bullshit because it's like if you like what you're doing, you're going to think about it a lot. It, it goes back to the having that f- fun. Yes, if, if you're not of an entrepreneurial mindset, okay, I get it. You're going to put your 40 hours in. Can you talk about your I can. Work yeah, I have none, but I enjoy it. So I enjoy what I do if I've got my phone on me and I get a call, I'm going to take the call. Or if there's a text message or if there's an email that's important and it seems strategic. It's interesting. So there's there's an accounting firm that I work with and they're saying, you can't be an active investor in all that you do because you don't put in enough time. Like, what do you mean by that? They're like, well, figure it out. There's 2,080 man hours in a year and you need to put in at least 200 man hours in each one of these entities. I'm like, I do. You can't. I'm like, why can't I? I? I do. And I'm like, I think about work all the time. I'm thinking about work when I'm dreaming. If I get up at two or three in the morning, it's because I woke up because of a damn work thing. So is that work? No. But it's defined as work if you get, yeah, it's an interesting, it, yeah. But it's, it's supposed to be defined as work. Um, I, I don't, I'm not the right one to talk to about work life balance either am i and uh, it's hard for me to shut things off it's just it, it your mind goes and then when you start having fun it, it goes even faster so you know that has been a um one of the things i've always struggled with you know it's like my girlfriend's always like you're always thinking about work you're always talking about work i'm like it's really not work right so. exactly yeah and you know like my wife becky used to be an hr professional we worked together we closed a business down together. She got a pay-to-stay agreement, so she gets me. Um, and she also can ground me, though, to make sure that I do spend quality time with my family. So family's first. Family's really important. But I can spend time with the family while I'm still doing some other things. I can do some other things while I'm on the golf course. I'm thinking of things. I was down in Ohio University, and I'm taking pictures of cubicles because I like the modularity of the wheel structure and I'm texting them to people while I'm dealing with my son, Nathan, at Ohio University. I walk through a plant, I have an idea from another plant. It's just how I'm clocked. Yes, you are clocked that way because you'll get texts and emails from you with these stream of thoughts and these ideas and it takes a minute to put them together and I'm like, I got it. I see what he's, what he's doing. Anyway, I, I really enjoyed the conversation what we got going with the podcast, I, we got a bunch of uh, material I think that we can use. I don't know what is, the podcast is going to evolve into. Being conversational, we'll, we'll get more as we go. We're both very, very tired today. Yep. I sort of like that free form. Yeah, so do I. And I tell you, for me, I think of our customers, I think of our suppliers, and I think most importantly of our employees. So if there's a method to communicate to employees with what our plans are, mm-hmm. I think we can use the podcast for that. I think the podcast helps us with bringing in other ideas, other innovators. Um, and then it's just, it's fun. You know, it's fun to do stories, storytelling, valued team members, valued employees, whatever messaging and cascading of messaging that we want to do, let's use this technology to do it. So the big thing here is that, um, it's not going to be as sterile as some other podcasts. It's not going to be as succinct. But I think people will get it. 
I think so. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jerry.